Hi there, and thank you for tuning into this Bailrig FM podcast. I'm really excited about this one because I had the chance to reconnect with an old school friend of mine and former Lancaster alumni, Matthew Walker. We've known each other since secondary school, and one of the reasons I was really happy to catch up with him was because he's been getting up to all sorts since leaving Lancaster. He's now a senior at Ernst & Young, one of the largest multinational professional service networks in the world, and he's also the director of his own newly launched tequila mixer business, Sephora Drinks. I really wanted to learn more about just what it takes to set up your own business and what exactly goes into launching and managing a new enterprise. We've got links to everything related to Savora Drinks down below, including its website and its socials. And if you want to learn more about Matt and everything he's been up to, then enjoy the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by 87.7 Barrag FM, Lancaster Student Sound. Hey Matt, thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm really excited to find out what you've been up to and to learn a little bit more about your your new Savora Drinks business. Um, so before we get started and we we can talk about the business and, and everything you've been up to since you've left Lancaster, I'd just like to ask a little bit about your experience when you were here. Um, so so when was it that you actually graduated from Lancaster? What college were you in? What did you study? Uh, perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about um, your experience as a student. Yeah, hi Ollie, thank you for having me first of all. Um, so I was in Cartmel College, um, which I think unfairly gets quite a lot of stick for being a little bit far out, um, but I really enjoyed my time in Cartmel, you know, I quite liked the, the separation of social life from study life, um, so I really enjoyed my time in Cartmel, and Savora, uh, I was actually born in a Cartmel College kitchen, so uh, <laughs> there's an interesting fact. Um, I studied accounting and finance, and I graduated in 2019. So a couple of years out of you now. Awesome. So um, Savora was actually, you came up with it whilst at Lancaster, whilst as a student. Correct. Yeah, a very primitive version. Uh, it's developed a lot since then, but it just started in final year university in uh, Carmel College Kitchen. And who did, you, um, who did you decide to start it up with? Were these people on your course? Was it uh, housemates, flatmates? Yeah, so initially it was just myself. Um, experimented on flatmates a lot, whether they wanted to or not. Um, eventually they started to enjoy it, which was great. Um, but since then I've brought in a business partner. So I met somebody uh, when I joined my graduate job after university and um, pitched the idea to her and she was really keen. So uh, now it's the two of us that are running it. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So um, you talked a little bit there about your graduate job as well. So what um you said it's been two years since you graduated right so what have you been up to in those two years could you tell us a little bit about the graduate job maybe talk about how you how you got the job as well and that's a big thing for students thinking about what they're going to do when they leave Lancaster how to pursue you know careers and things they're interested in yeah I, I was really fortunate in that I did a placement year whilst I was at Lancaster and um, so I returned to my employer that I did my placement year with straight after university um, so anybody that's in the early years of university, I definitely recommend a placement year because that's a really good opportunity to get a graduate job. Um, so my placement year was with EY um, up in Edinburgh. So since uh, graduating, I've moved back to Edinburgh and uh, continuing my journey with EY. What kind of work do you do for EY? So it's um, audit. So it's uh, looking at accounts and um, determining if they give a true and fair view um, is the very brief version of it. Um, basically accounting and finance. Awesome. Awesome. So I'd like to talk more a little bit now about drinks. Uh, obviously, that's what Savora is about. It's a it's a, um, a, a premium tequila mixing company. Um, that's right. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about just your history, like your own experience with drinking, what kind of drinks you like to enjoy and how maybe your tastes have developed uh, through the years. 
but what kind of drinks were you enjoying at university and has tequila always been something that's been sort of central to your um beverage likings <laughs> yeah I, I think it's uh it's fair to say i've always enjoyed spirits not necessarily just tequila um but i've always enjoyed spirits so your vodka your rum um your gin your tequila um spirits with a mixer particularly and never really been a fan of the shots uh, the shotting culture um but i've always enjoyed my, my spirits um i like to experiment with various mixers and um, particularly like natural mixers so you know your cranberry juice your orange juice your, your fresh lemonades more, more so than the energy drinks uh, i was never really a fan of the the Jaeger ice <laughs> or the vodka red bulls so so i've always liked the, the natural side of the mixers uh, and we kind of integrated that into savora using natural ingredients to create a mixer for tequila they're not quite uh, for the for the connoisseur, are they? These uh, you know Red Bull and and Coke combinations of of sugar and alcohol, quite a no, dangerous no. combination. I, I think it says on the bottle, do not mix with alcohol or something. Yet yet students still still seem to love to do it. Yeah, I don't think anyone is abiding by the the instructions on the no. on, on on the packaging. No. Um, just a like a quick question as we go on: is there is there any particular mixer? Uh, and spirit combination, which in your mind is just catastrophic? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I think I would say the Jager bomb. I always hated uh, oh, Controversial. Yeah, I, I know it's a popular one with the students, but um, no, it's not for me. So why did you decide to set up um, Savora? Um, how did you identify this gap in the market in terms of creating a, a premium mixer that's dedicated to tequila? And what motivated you to try and fill it? Yeah, I think, uh, so Savora is kind of born out of the premise that every spirit has a mixer. So you've got your gin and tonics, you've got your rum and cokes, but tequila never really had one. Um, but we know that tequila cocktails, you've got your margarita, paloma, uh, tequila sunrise, they're all really popular. So I knew that people like tequila as a long serve, and I started questioning why isn't there a mixer? Um, so I started playing around in my Carmel kitchen uh, with, with what mixers I could make. Um, we started with a, a very early version was lemon, mint, and ginger. We've progressed a lot since then. Um, <laughs> we started with, um, and, and it was just kind of uh, seeing what paired well with tequila. And um, we created what we thought was a really good drink, and uh, we, we tried it on other people, and everyone seemed to love it. So, so that kind of started um, the, the process. And in terms of the motivation to start the business, I, I've always loved business. I think I'm quite rare in that. I enjoy everything about business. So when I'm winding down, I'll watch business uh, TV shows. I'll listen to business podcasts. It's like my, my whole life is surrounded by business. Um, so it's always been a passion of mine to start a business. And then with Savora coming along, um, I thought this was the perfect opportunity to go ahead and uh, take the leap. I'm sure you had a lot of fun experimenting on, on your housemates in terms of, here, try this. This is a new a, a new concoction. <laughs> yeah, and they certainly enjoyed it as well. All the free tequila samples they were getting, there were no complaints. Yeah, I would be like, uh, oh, Matt, I'm not sure about this one. You'll have to, you'll have to pour me another tequila. <laughs> yeah, there was a um, lot I, I really like the name as well, um, Savora. It's quite a unique one. It's that, uh, it says on your website that you came up with it by, by combining the words uh, Aurora and um saver who that's a really creative name is that something that you came up with is it something that was like did that did that uh, name come with the creation of the idea itself yeah so it was a process myself and my business partner went through uh, a couple of months ago now we went for a rebranding um so we were sitting down and we were thinking 
what can we name this business that really fits with the, the message we're trying to create? And it was a Saver and Aurora. And the, the meaning behind it is because we want to create premium drinks that should be sipped and savored, not slammed and gutted. Um, and equally, Aurora, the Aurora Borealis, you know, creating that awe-inspiring, unique experience. That was kind of the um, idea behind the name. There was a few in the shortlist. Um, one of the ones <laughs> was Blind Tiger, which I'm, I'm quite glad now that Daniel talked me out of. Um, but, but there was a few names, but Savara was kind of the clear leader. Um, and that's the one that we pushed on with and, and we've had really good feedback for it. Uh, so I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I like the name Savara. It's got kind of like a, like a almost like a Mexican ring to it a little bit, like Savora, like kind of Latin American. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, much better than Blind Tiger. Yeah, much better. I must, I must, I'm quite glad that was left on the, on the chopping block. <laughs> um, so you said Savora is a, um, a mixing company that's dedicated to tequila. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about tequila in general as a spirit, maybe like how it's, how it's uh, produced? And why do you suspect that tequila isn't quite as popular as other beverages like gin and whiskey? Do you think this is something that might change in the future? Yeah, I think it's um, something that is changing. So, so if you start with the, the first question of how tequila is made, um, all good quality tequilas are made from 100% agave, uh, which is a plant very similar to a cactus. Um, but legally to be classed as a tequila, you only have to be made from 51% agave. Um, and what a lot of the tequilas in the UK in the past were, were these 51% mixers, and then the rest was topped up with, say, sugars or, or colourings. And it kind of destroys the real flavor of tequila. So people in the UK have this perception of tequila, which isn't actually what tequila is. So what we're seeing now is a new premium trend taking hold of these new 100% agave tequilas um, that are taking you kind of back to the, the roots of tequila, what it really should be like. Um, so the US market's a lot further ahead than the UK, but we see that the UK will probably follow a similar trend. Um, and the, the agave plant, it takes around seven years to go to maturity. Um, and then they'll harvest it, they'll um, slow cook it for 48 hours and extract the sugars and the ferment. So it's, it's really interesting that there's just the one ingredient, whereas if you think of the likes of gin, it has all these various botanicals that go in. All of the flavour comes from this one ingredient, uh, and it, it comes mainly from the harvesting, at the, sorry, the growth process. So when you plant the tequila, um, they might be planting it in the lowlands or the highlands. They're, they're the two tequila regions, very similar to the whiskey regions, actually. In the Scotland. lowlands and highlands of is it, of which countries in particular or which regions? Yeah, so so you know how um, whiskey is restricted to Scotland? Well, tequila is restricted to Jalisco in Mexico. So it can only be made in that one region, um, which is really interesting. It kind of creates this uh, kind of furore around it. You know, you can't get this anywhere else. You can only get it here. Um, so they, they make it in Jalisco, Mexico. And um, yeah, seven years to get to maturity. A lot of the land around there is very volcanic, and that's where they get all the flavours from. Very fertile soil, um, which I always find interesting. So do you think, because you mentioned earlier that a lot of the brands that people are buying are actually, they're not 100% made from agave, and they're maybe topped up with colourings and, sug and sugars and, and that kind of thing. So do you think a lot of people's perception of what tequila actually is has been distorted by us drinking, you know, for year after year, this product which isn't actually 100% what it's suggesting it is? Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the main messages with Savora. We have to educate our consumers that um, tequila isn't what you think it is. And what we're finding is that there's uh, an immediate reluctance, an initial reluctance to try the product. But once they have tried it, they really like it. 
So it's getting over that initial barrier. And once, once they've tried our product, they seem to really enjoy it. Have you got any brands that you personally would recommend for someone like me who who, who might be interested in trying these more authentic uh, tequila products? Yeah, one really good one that's up and coming is Vivir. So it's V-I-V-I-R. I believe it means to live. Uh, I think that's where they got the name from. And they're a UK-based tequila company. So they make it all uh, across in Mexico and then they ship it over here. And um, they've got a, a Blanco, a Reposado, and an Anejo, which are the different the three main types of tequila. So the uh, Blanco is unaged. The uh, Reposado is aged for a short period, usually up to a year. And then the Anejo is aged a little bit longer, much more like a whiskey. Um, so that's more for sipping neat. Um, and we, we protect... We pair particularly well, sorry, with the uh, Blanco. That's because it's got the natural flavors, whereas the um, ones that are aged, they take more flavors from the cask, so they're more suited to sipping drinks. Okay. And um, what makes Savora and its products stand out from the crowd? Are there other tequila mixing companies out there, or are you sort of one of the the pioneers? Yeah, I think um, there's a few companies that have flirted with the idea, definitely. So Fever Tree have got a, a lime soda mixer. Um, so they kind of recommend that for pairing with vodka or tequila. So, so they're kind of saying, you know, you can do this if you want. But what we do differently is, is we really focus on the tequila market. And we're, we're dedicated to making a mixer just for pairing with tequila. So our mixer, um, the, the flavor is lime and agave. Um, and what that kind of does is it takes the uh, familiarity of the lime. You know, everyone's familiar with chocolate, tequila, lime, salt. So we take that familiarity and we convert it into a premium long drink. Um, where, whereas, you know, Fever Tree have done what they've done. They've said for vodka or tequila. Uh, there's another company, which I don't have the name of right now, but they've got a, a pear, fig and cardamom mixer. Uh, and we just thought that the um, flavors aren't quite familiar enough and it doesn't encourage people to try tequila with a mixer. So we're really working on educating those consumers. Whereas for other companies, it's just one product within a, a large portfolio of other products. And they don't, they're not that dedicated towards the tequila market. Yeah, I think mixers work best really when they're, they're, they're about strengthening the, the quality of the drink itself, not like necessarily covering it up, which I think some mixers can do. They can be so powerful and so full of sugars that it's like, what is the, you're just obscuring the taste of the drink. I think it's really good when mixing companies try and enhance what's already so brilliant about, about these spirits. Precisely, yeah. That's what well, that's what a mixer should be for. It's there to uplift the spirit, not to uh, mask it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, could you tell us a little bit about where Savora's ingredients come from? Where where are they local? Are they are they globally sourced? Where where do you get them from? Yeah. So as I say, the, the first one in our range is zesty lime and sweet agave. So um, unfortunately, they don't grow either limes or agave in the UK. So we we do have to get it abroad. But what we do is we work with local suppliers and we really try to um, focus on their sustainability. So um, we currently just use the lime juice, but um, my business partner, Danielle, I, I won't give away too much information on her secret <laughs> project, but um, she's working to reuse the lime rinds, which is what's left over after you've squeezed the lime. So she's working to try and extract the flavors from the rinds to kind of minimize the waste in that area. So although we um, can't grow the ingredients over here, we do work really hard to try and make it as sustainable as possible. Um, and again, she might kill me for this, but <laughs> she's working on uh, a project we're calling seasonal sipping. So it's taking uh, ingredients that are seasonal in the UK and turning them into a mixer. So in summer, we'll have one mixer. In winter, we'll have another mixer. 
I won't tell you any flavors just now before she does actually kill me. Um, but, but yeah, it's something we have in the pipeline. Sustainability yeah. is really important for us. I like that idea as well of, of seasonal products because it makes it feel as though what you're creating is is grounded in something local. You know, if it's the same thing all year round, you, it's, you get the sense that like it's more dependent on these unsustainable sort of global supply chain. So the fact that one product comes and goes with the changing of the season sort of reflects how sort of connected with the the sort of just the like the patterns of of change that occur naturally in the environment yeah i think it's fair to say that the food and drinks industry often falls short in sustainability um, and we've integrated one of the three core messages in our business and uh, everything that we do we always look back and think okay how can we do this in the most sustainable manner mm. where do you get your limes from by the way um, so I don't know where our supplier gets them from, but we use a Glasgow-based supplier. So we source um, the fresh lime juice from her, which is, okay. which is great for us being based in Scotland. Yeah. Um, I want to ask now a little bit about sort of the, the, the nitty gritty of what goes into producing a, drinks like, a drink like this. This is something that I'm really interested in because it's not it's like sometimes when it comes to business, we only see the output. Right. We don't see what goes into bringing all the all the all the, the raw ingredients together, processing it, putting it together, marketing it, bottling it, distributing it, all that kind of stuff. So could you talk a little bit about how you actually producing the product like where you're producing it how how all that is organized how it's mixed together um yeah could you talk a little bit about that yeah i think um so we started really organically as a home group so um myself and danielle created a bubble due to covid and we were manufacturing in my kitchen um literally just <laughs> piped out as many bottles as we could and i think that's really important that you, you start um small and you really understand what's going into your product so we've got a really good understanding of that process. Um, but we soon realized that we were outgrowing our production capabilities. Um, we had a, a two liter copper pot, um, steel pot, sorry. And uh, yeah, we, we weren't making them as quick as we'd like to. So um, we then moved to outsource production. And that's kind of been the focus for the last three months, working with manufacturers to outsource our production. The way we thought about it was, um, you know, we use the same ingredients as we did at home, we'll get the same product. But when you bring in machinery, it, it doesn't quite work that way, apparently. So Why not? Why not? Um, it's kind of just that the machine's very consistent and we're not very consistent. So um, the, the way that the machinery does it, you have to be very precise with what you're putting in um, in order to get a very consistent output. Whereas what we do is we put a little bit in, we taste it. Is it okay? Yeah, let's, let's move on. Um, so you kind of lose that element of being able to as you go along so we've been working really hard with a couple of manufacturers um, to get a product ready to outsource production and um, so what they'll kind of do is they'll manufacture it for us hopefully we'll get to uh, go along and, and watch some of the manufacturing um, and then they'll ship it to our various distributors and to ourselves if we're doing the distribution and what about um, the packaging and and um, the marketing and, and the distribution as well? How's how is all that done? So once you've presumably once you've got it bottled up, whether it's in your kitchen or whether it's at the the outsourced location, is it just a matter of putting it in a glass bottle and then selling it to whoever wants to buy it? Is that is is that how it's done? Yeah. So what we've kind of um, focused on these last few months is really developing our skills in this area. You you know. We didn't really know anything about marketing. Uh, I think it's important when you start a business that you're open to learning new skills. So um, we, we've really focused on marketing and selling. So the, the sales channel is kind of two-dimensional. 
you've got your online sales, which go direct to the consumer, but then you've also got your untrained sales, and that's working with your bars, restaurants, pubs. Um, unfortunately, the untrained's not active at the moment, but it's something that we really want to work with sooner rather than later, you know, bringing these pubs, bars, and restaurants back to their capacity. Uh, what's the process like of actually setting up a business, like in terms of all the legal stuff? Is it is it because I sometimes when I think about the idea of starting up a business, I'm sort of overwhelmed a little bit by all the complexity and all the licenses that you need and all that sort of legal paperwork stuff that you got to go through. What's that actually like? Is it is it quite challenging or is it more straightforward than you might think at first? I mean, obviously, I guess you did study this kind of stuff. So but for someone like me who doesn't study business. Yeah. Um, what, what, yeah, could you speak to that a little bit, just the yeah. administration? I think um, you, you can do it really basic or you can do it really formal. The, the really basic method is a sole trader, where effectively you call HMRC and you say, I'm going to start doing this. They put you down as a taxpayer and you you, you report to them once a year what, what you make. Um, but the more formal message, uh, method that most larger companies will use is they'll incorporate um, as a limited company. But, but all it really is is a, is a few forms that you have to fill in, and there's various companies that will support you with this. So I think that the main message is to build a network around you who are familiar with the process um, and, and try and minimise your mistakes. Is there are there any like crazy regulations concerning uh, like home brewing, or is it all sort of do they trust you to not be too like uh, ridiculous with how you put it together? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. Um, my first few months, I, I did a, a health and safety course, and then I had to uh, register with the local environmental health officer. So there are um, very stringent regulations that you, you do have to um, make sure you're abiding to. Um, obviously, you can get into serious problems if you're, you're causing uh, illness or whatever. So it's something you have to take really seriously. Um, but there is a lot of support out there. So make sure you, you, you do your research and, um, and don't be afraid to, to get started and go for it. Um, so a huge part of Savora is this um, this fusing of the soul of Scotland and the spirit of Mexico. This is really central to, to, to Savora. How did you decide to brand the product in this way in terms of integrating the history and, and culture of, of Scotland with the, the, the spirit of, of Mexico? Yeah, as you say, the brand is really important um, to kind of fuse those two cultures. And I think you alluded to it briefly when, when you said Savora has got that kind of Mexican flair, um, but also deep down, it, it also has that hidden meaning. And it, with those subliminal messages uh, kind of constant throughout the brand. So our logo is, um, from, from to the normal person, it just looks like mountains with uh, the Aurora Borealis in the sky. But those mountains are a very specific mountain range in Scotland. Um, called the Cooling Hills on the Isle of Skye. And these mountains, many, many years ago, there was a massive volcanic eruption, which was believed to be um, from these mountains. And they say that the, the volcanic eruption changed the global climate forever. Um, and we kind of link that into our brand by saying, we want to bring mass change to this industry. So we've oh, used wow. this mountain range. And it's a really um, subtle, but really strong message that, we, that we've put in there. Um, and I think, it's important to kind of have the, that subliminal um, side to your branding. The, the, the Scottish flair kind of comes through in the Aurora Borealis and the sky. Um, and, and we do try and integrate that, that uh, Mexican vibrancy wherever we can. 
Yeah, I've been to Sky a couple of times, actually, and it really is. It's one of the most spectacular places I've ever been. Its landscape is alien in some places as well. It's really bizarre. It's like you've woken up on a on another planet. And I can totally believe that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was uh, believed to be the site of this sort of explosive eruption that changed the world. But having been there and just observed the crazy landscape, I can certainly believe that something that significant did happen there. It's, it's really incredible and uh, hopefully when we can do things again people can explore um, the UK because I don't think people appreciate what's on their doorstep sometimes and there's some incredible places in both England and Scotland. Yeah yeah both times I've been to Scotland I've done a couple of um, like road tours around Scotland um, and both times I've I've driven up on the west coast and it's like you get past Glasgow and you start hitting all the, all the mountains and then straight away you're just in absolutely spectacular um, landscape. A lot. Of, you're right. A lot of people have absolutely no idea what's just on the doorstep. It's really beautiful part of the country. It is. Uh, and right up the top, there's uh, the, the North Coast 500. It's known as. Yeah. Um, it's the very northern tip of Scotland. And unfortunately, I haven't done it yet. But hopefully, uh, things reopen in the summer. I'll, I'll get the chance to do that. Definitely. I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago, and he he uh, he went for on two. It was a summer holiday, and he went on two holidays. He went to Thailand and had one of these crazy party holidays, and then he went on like a quiet little. Um, tour on the Route 500 with a few of his mates and he came back and we were talking he said you know what Ollie that Route 500 was way better than Thailand <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I can believe it it does look incredible from the photos I've seen yeah for sure for sure where where are you now exactly in the launch of the business yeah so um, I think it's fair to say as with most businesses that Covid has hit us it's delayed our process more than um, anything so we were probably ready to go last summer but instead, we took the decision to just do a small launch, test products on family and friends. And um, we got some really useful feedback from that. And we, we came back a lot stronger, um, such as outsourcing our manufacturing process. That was really important. Um, we soon realized that it wasn't possible or, or realistic to do it as a home brew for the, the period that we were planning to. So we outsourced our manufacturing process. We've made some really good contacts in the industry. Um, we should be available to the public in uh, early spring. So what we're currently doing is distributing samples to influencers, bars, restaurants, etc. Um, working on some things with the shelf life, etc. You know, all these um, things you have to comply with. But early spring, we expect to be available and uh, we'll, we'll get a sample for you soon. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I'm not quite an influencer, but I'll, I'll do my best to I'll do my best to spread the word. Um. What do you see exactly as, as Savora's key markets? So you, you mentioned that you're going to be launching in spring. Do you feel that you're going to be able to, do you, do you think that the hospitality industry is going to be open basically is what I'm asking like as this year goes on, or are you going to be more focused on internet sales on getting it directly to consumers? Yeah, I think um, what we're kind of doing is leaving things really open. So the benefit of being small is that we can pivot our strategy really quickly. So Ideally, we want to be working with bars, restaurants, pubs, but we're also working hard with the online channel. So we've got a key distributor um, who should be distributing our product online, and that's really important to us. In terms of the consumers themselves, um, there's kind of two types of consumers that we're targeting. So there's those who like tequila, either as a shot or in a cocktail, but then there's also those who enjoy other spirits with a mixer and want to try something new. So I think the the gin and tonics kind of been became a staple over the last few years in, in British culture. But um, it's probably fair to say that that market's probably approaching maturity now, if not even declining, you know. 
people are getting a bit fed up with the same drink. So we hope to kind of capture some of that market and uh, tempt them into trying tequila Savora. Um, what, what do you think have been the biggest challenges you've encountered so far um, with the business? Has there been anything particularly unexpected which you just couldn't account for? Yeah, I think it's really important to be open. So, so I will be honest and, and, and say our, our, our two main challenges that come to mind. Um, the first one is the manufacturer. So we had a manufacturer who we plan to produce with. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, there were, there were delays and uh, we eventually had to change manufacturer. And, and the key kind of learning from that was don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, everyone's kind of going to put their own um, intentions first. You know, everyone's got their own things they need to focus on. And unfortunately, things didn't work out and we've had to change manufacturer there. The other thing um, that was a, a really big challenge was when we originally launched, we were called Mockingbird. Um, so Tequila Mockingbird, Tequila Mockingbird. It was kind oh. of the, the branding. Um, but again, we faced legal challenges. So so two large corporations really? and attempted to yeah, uh, sue us. So, was so that the publisher? Um, no, it wasn't the publisher. But it was uh, two drinks companies that owned the rights to Mockingbird. Um, it was naive on, on our regard. I mean, we, we didn't know that you had to do these things, and it's a lesson learned. But I think we've got a much stronger brand with Savora, so uh, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? Yeah, you've got to be careful with those kind of uh, like marketing things, haven't you? I, I know um, like a, I've got a, a friend of a friend who runs a, a company which uses an image of Scooby-Doo in the, in the logo, and it's just a very small business, so they've not been called up on it yet, but I've... Yeah. Uh, you can sometimes get phone calls for that kind of thing from big American corporations suddenly demanding a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, you have to be, you have to be really careful. I mean, we already had about a thousand followers on Instagram at the time, and these two massive corporations came after us. Uh, I guess it's a compliment more than anything, isn't it? That you're doing all right. Yeah, you suppose. Yeah, you're getting noticed at least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this sort of, the next question sort of links in with with the, the the question about the challenges you've faced, and that's in terms of what have you learned most from this entire process, and how how has the actual endeavour to start your own business, how has it presented things which weren't addressed in your degree? Like how is the real world different to the kind of stuff you you study as part of your your um your your business studies? Yeah, I think that um, your degree is very specialist and probably a lot more specialist than I realised. Um, you know, you might be doing modules in various things. Um, you know, you might try your hand at marketing, managerial science, or the various things that they give you the opportunities to explore. But it's still very specialist. And when you're doing a business, you have to know um, a broad range. You have to have a broad range of skills. So one day I'll be doing marketing, and, and the next day I'll be, um, you know communicating with our suppliers about uh, the, the supply chain, etc. So it's important to have a really broad range of skills. And um, we, we've spent the last year really, really honing in on that. And I think we probably didn't realize at the very start how much work it would take. But if you just keep chipping away at it, you know, um, it, it, it's fine. And uh, we're, we're really proud of where we've got to. And uh, we hope we can keep learning more skills and getting better. Definitely, definitely. Um, have you got any advice for anyone, any um, perhaps Lancaster students who are planning to launch their own business and maybe any just general advice for, for students who are finishing the courses? Obviously, as someone who has now got a successful job, who's launched their own business, what would be the best piece of, what would be the best like lesson you could impart to someone at Lancaster now? 
Yeah, I think it's really uh, difficult this year, particularly, you know, for graduates who are going into the job market. Maybe, maybe two year groups are going for one set of jobs. So it's really hard to um, kind of make yourself stand out. What, what I would say is that um, my two key messages would be you're better to try and fail than not try at all. And that's a, a really important thing that I live by. And um, I kind of see failure on the road to success rather than the opposite of success. So um, I'll always encourage you to try and fail and not try and not fail at all. But we're still young. We've got time to make mistakes and, and we'll learn from them and we'll, we'll come out the other side as better people. Yeah. The, other, the other thing um, that I would say is build a network around you that, that can support you. Um, there's various challenges you'll face, whether you start your own business or you, you go into other career paths. You, you, there will be challenges you'll face and um, people will have already faced these challenges. I have no doubt about it. So make sure you have a good network of people around you that you trust and can, can draw on their knowledge. Definitely. I really agree with what you said about failure as well and going for it because there are going to be failures and you're always going to make mistakes and i've i've sort of tried to in my own life i've tried to interpret mistakes or failures as just the universe indicating to me that something needs to be changed and when you look at it that way it's kind of then it becomes not as personal when something goes wrong it's not like oh damn the universe is out to get me it's more just like here is a lesson it's like a signpost because you're not on the path and every time you stray from the path that's a mistake and so every mistake is a way of guiding you in the right direction yeah everything in, in my opinion everything truly does happen for a reason and as you say it's the universe saying you're on the wrong path and you, you maybe need to, to rethink your direction a little bit definitely definitely but matt it's been really uh, exciting talking to you today i've loved learning a little bit about more about um savora it's really good to get in touch with you again we haven't spoken for for a couple of years so it's really good to find out how well you're doing basically uh so best of luck with savora um yeah uh, and one final thing if uh, if people do want to keep up with savora if people are ever interested in what we've been talking about today perhaps they want to get their hands on the product themselves what's the best way for them to keep in touch with everything you're doing have you got any social medias or or any websites that people can follow yeah so the best way is um savora.drinks on both instagram and facebook um and our website is www.savoradrinks.com um and, and yeah great to chat to you as well Ollie. and uh, we'll have a sample in your hands in no time lovely and it might be nice to do another one of these podcasts maybe in a few a few months time once once uh, everything's up and running a little bit more and you can explain to us just how successful uh, everything's been <laughs> yeah we can maybe do a live tasting oh that would be lovely yeah that'd be great yeah. Yeah, definitely a bit of tequila as well yeah good stuff wicked um thanks matt thanks Ollie.